As children are going out, I want to invite you to join me in John chapter 18. As we continue our way through John's gospel account, we look this morning to verses 1 through 11. Michael mentioned it in the beginning, we've prayed about it in the pastoral prayer, but this has been a heavy week for many of us as we've, as we've wrestled with uh, the shooting at a sister church in Nashville. Monday morning, I opened this text, and spending time here in this passage, and the Holy Spirit was even then beginning to paint a portrait for me of Jesus. And then I got a text message that there had been a shooting at Covenant Presbyterian in Nashville. I had just been there. Anna and I had gone in October with our daughter to a worship conference. There we had walked those halls, the halls that we now see through a police body cam. New people there. And the details began to slowly come out, at least some of them, but enough to provide a sense of clarity that we are at war. And our enemy is ruthless. He lashes out at truth, at the foundation of the truth that we live by. He seeks to divide the church, and he is dividing our world. Wrestling with all of that, and I talked to my daughter Blair, and she put to words so much of what I was feeling. She said, they hit one of ours. Where do we turn? The Lord had me in this text for His wise and gracious providence. And He was showing me already on Monday morning this text, a picture of true power. True power in Jesus. And I needed that picture. Monday night, I laid in my bed awake, wrestling. See, I stand before you each and every week with the awesome awareness that I am a messenger of God, speaking not my words, but His because my constant prayer as I stand before you is that he would give me a fidelity to his word. Lord, root me in the word of truth. So that night, part of my wrestling was this. What does it mean to be faithful to the text? 
What does it mean to be faithful to this text on this week? I read this passage and there are deep theological truths. There are propositional truths that call us to respond. What does it mean to be faithful to that truth on this week? To mine this text for those theological truths and to draw us to rich biblical application. But laying there in my bed, with the thoughts of the day swirling around in my mind and thinking about this passage, what I kept going back to was the picture of Jesus. Yes, we need those propositional truths of the gospel, but we need the person of Christ. And I wrestled with it. Is there a tension between the two? And then I began to realize. That the deep theological truth, the rich biblical application of this text is to behold Jesus in the fullness of his glory and love. As we enter Holy Week, this week many of us, perhaps most all of us, enter into this week with heavy hearts. Maybe with a fresh awareness of the battle that is raging around us. And so with that backdrop and this week before us, I want to offer for you a sketch of the King of Kings. I want to draw out for you a portrait that I find in this text of my Jesus. As we prepare to look to this text, I want to encourage you. Listen. Listen to the picture that the Lord is painting in His Word of the man, Jesus. Look to me prayer as we prepare to go to His Word. Father, we, we come with needy hearts, but you're in the needy. And so I pray that as we read your word, preach your word, that you would show us Jesus. Do this, we pray for his glory and our good. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron. Where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. 
Of those whom I gave you, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given to me? This is the word of the Lord. text opens and offers three simple words. He went out. Those aren't $5 words. They're the kind of simple words that we learn when we are learning to read using the C-Spot Run books. Those three words convey much truth. Consider the picture that they paint for us. Knowing everything that was before him. Jesus knew it all. He knew what was about to happen. He knew what would happen over the course of that night and over the course of the next morning. He knew it all. And yet with calm resolution, my Jesus got up. My Jesus walked out toward the battle. Have you ever known true fear? Sometimes we experience this fear when there's a confrontation and we don't want to have. Sometimes it's a painful procedure that we don't want to undergo. When we face those kinds of events, you know the weakness that overcomes our bodies, we want to melt away. Physically, we feel like we are melting away. None of us have had to face what Jesus faced that night. My Jesus, he went out. He went out down the eastern slopes of Jerusalem. He crossed the this little brook, and he walked into the garden. It was Gethsemane. Likely a grove of olive trees. The text tells us that Jesus often met there. The mere mention of Jesus walking out begins to paint some brush strokes for me on this, this character sketch of Jesus. But when I begin to read on and see these words, additional details, more brush strokes come into clarity. One of the first ones I see and that I love is that my Jesus, he made a regular pattern of communing with his father in creation. There's an an earthy authenticity to it. Jesus needed to be with his father. And one of the places where he experienced that communion with his father was out there among those olive trees. It's both the frequency and the place that 
that tells us much about the priority in Jesus' life. It's one of those brushstrokes that begins to paint this picture of Jesus that we need. But there's a second brushstroke in that detail. Judas also knew the place. And Jesus knew that Judas knew. The last time we heard about Judas and John's gospel was back in chapter 13. They were enjoying the Lord's Supper, but Jesus had talked about a betrayer. The disciples said, who is it? And Jesus said, it's the one to whom I will give this morsel. In the conclusion of that meal, when when Judas had finished enjoying the presence of Jesus, Jesus commanded him, what you were about to do, go do quickly. This place where Jesus went tells us about the priority in his life. It also played a role in the plan of his death. Jesus didn't go to the garden to hide. He went to the garden to face his betrayer. His betrayer, Judas, came out, the text tells us, with a band of soldiers. Band is a technical term. It refers to a detachment. Think a platoon, a company. But the detachment of Roman soldiers numbered 1,000. I don't know. If Judas brought all 1,000 of this detachment that night, but if he only had a tenth, we're talking about an army of 100 men come out for one. They didn't come alone. They also came with the temple police. There's this, there's this odd marriage of Roman soldiers and Jewish religious temple authorities who have come out To see this one man. Do not miss the fact that this is war. They came that night with. Torches and lanterns and weapons. The lanterns thinking that surely he must be hiding. The weapons. Surely. He's going to resist. Contrasts are striking. An army and one man. Remember the mention of fear? Verse 4, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. What do you see? What's the sketch that you see unfolding before you in this text? Here's what I see. I see my Jesus. He's not hiding. He's not running. He's calm. He's courageous. He's in charge. This is the King. King Jesus, and He is stepping forward. Steady voice. Unwavering, He asks a question. Whom do you seek? They answer him. Jesus of Nazareth. His response. It's simple. It's powerful. It's truth. I am he. 
at least that's how our English translators have chosen to record his words. In the Greek, I am. In Hebrew, Yahweh. John's gospel account, as we've been making our way this past nearly two years, we have heard John throughout with the punchy truth of Jesus' declaration of deity constantly crying out, I am. We hear it here at the battle line. Judas and his soldiers, they hear these words. They hear the words of my Jesus and they hit the ground. What was that? Why did they hit the ground? Is it is it fear at the mention of deity? Is it the awesome awareness of this man that we are seeing today? Is it, is it some reverberation of power that goes out with the sound of his voice? I don't know. I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, it was appropriate. They hit the ground. Knowing it or not is worship. But in this portrait, do not miss the next detail because Jesus is guiding the whole sequence of events. He asks again, whom do you seek? It's as if Jesus is reminding them that they have a job to do, so get up and do it. weeks ago I preached from John chapter 17 verses 6 through 19 and I told you it was a prayer of spiritual warfare when Jesus was praying to the father keep them see the warfare played out here but Jesus is not some far away general tucked away in a conference room thousands of miles from the battlefield he is leading from the front Monday night, I lay awake in my bed wrestling with the events of the day. I needed this portrait of Jesus. Looking out over the Holy Week, I need this portrait of Jesus and I suspect that you do too. Because this is the portrait of my Jesus and he is the man. So a portrait of Jesus, the shepherd. What does the shepherd do? Tends the flock. Make sure the sheep are fed and watered. But the shepherd also guards and protects them. When you think of a shepherd, do you conjure up some mental image of, of Linus in Charlie Brown's Christmas show? Cute and cuddly. It's appropriate if we're thinking in terms of feeding cute and cuddly sheep, but how about fending off lions and wolves? Here the wolves have come. And Jesus is no hired hand. The hired hand runs at the sight of, je- of danger, but Jesus did not run. Verses 8 and 9. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. 
says, if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. Jesus stood before the army of soldiers and said, let them go. Jesus loved and protected his disciples. Maybe that begs a question. One that perhaps you're afraid to verbalize. Where was he in Nashville on Monday? Was he not strong enough to stop the shooter? Or perhaps did he not care enough to intervene? Why would he save the disciples on that night but not the children on Monday? We can verbalize these questions even if we can't fully answer them. Behind those questions and perhaps behind most all of our questions is another question and that is the question of why. Scripture doesn't answer that question for us. Scripture does not tell us why it happened but Scripture does tell us that Jesus was there. Jesus is there in the storm because Jesus is Lord over the storm. And we still wrestle with that. We still wrestle with that description of his sovereignty in the midst of difficult acts. And so we want to know, where were you, Jesus? Maybe Acts chapter 7 can help us. In Acts chapter 7, another one of Jesus' beloved Stephen, a man full of grace and power, was stoned to death because he followed Jesus. He was stoned to death because he spoke the unfiltered truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and he spoke it to power. Where was Jesus then when they were dragging Stephen out of the city to stone him? Acts chapter 7, verse 55, gives us somewhat of a glimpse. It tells us, but he, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. As best I can tell, every other place in Scripture where it speaks of Jesus at the right hand of God, he is seated. Not because he's tired, not because he's lazy, because his work is completed. But yet here in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is being stoned for his faith, Jesus is standing. Why? Why is Jesus standing there? What I'm about to tell you is purely my conjecture, okay? This is my guess. When I think of Jesus standing at this event, I think of him as a a parent in the stands watching the child on the field of play. There's There's a love, there's a claiming. Jesus is standing saying, that's my Stephen. This 
Stephen finished the work that Jesus had called him to do. Friends, I know it's a hard truth, but Jesus was sovereign over it all. And Jesus was claiming Stephen in the midst of it. I can't tell you all that is going on in Acts 7. I cannot tell you all that was going on on Monday in Nashville. But weakness and uncaring are not a part of the discussion. Jesus was and is engaged just as he is today in our lives when the wolves come calling. He's there. He's here. And at times, He's affirming. At times, He's disciplining. Peter, on that night, took his sword. And he fought back. He was clumsy and misguided, but everything Peter did was full speed ahead, and so he did it. And Jesus shepherded Peter by correcting him. That's what a shepherd does. He corrected Peter. He corrects us. And he does so because he loves. Like he did with Peter when he corrects, when he even rebukes us as our shepherd. He's still strong and kind as we have just sung. But ultimately, the question about where is Jesus when the wolf comes to attack must be considered through the lens of eternity. Verse 9 tells us, Jesus said, of those whom you gave, I have not lost one. True on two levels. That day, it was true in terms of his, his physical care for the disciples. But ultimately, his physical care that night was, was a pointer to his, his care over their eternal souls. You see, all of the disciples would go on to suffer greatly for their faith in Jesus Christ. And most of them would go on to be martyred, to die painful deaths because they believed in Jesus. And because they stood up for the truth of the gospel. But Jesus was still the good shepherd on those days. Because on this day, the shepherd became the lamb. There's a certain trajectory for this week. We celebrated it earlier as the children came in waving palm branches. And we were singing Hosanna. And we talked about Palm Sunday when Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem. A victorious king and all the people celebrated him wanting Savior of some sort. They didn't know. No more than the children knew why they were waving the palm branches. But they would find out in the trajectory of that week. That this king came to secure victory on the cross. That's the trajectory of this week. But it's also a trajectory of the night of John 18. The night that began with a meal. Celebration. The celebration of redemption. But in short time, Jesus, my Jesus, would drink from a different cup. 
Verse 11, after rebuking Peter, Jesus said, Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? That cup is the cup of wrath. And please do not miss this. In all of our wrestling with the sovereignty of God over this night and over Monday, do not miss this. The cup of wrath was handed to Jesus by His Father. We live in a world that's tried to strip away the notion of wrath. And we certainly don't want to associate wrath with God, but our God is a God of justice. And on Monday, we wanted justice. It was a picture of evil perpetrated by the enemies of God against the beloved of God. And our hope, our only hope in this life, that our God is a God of justice. He will vindicate His holiness. He will vindicate His beloved. You see, I believe that we actually do want our God to be a God of wrath. But I think we just want to direct the wrath. The problem is that all sin is an affront to the holiness of of God and all sin deserves the wrath of God let me be more blunt all sinners deserve the wrath of God but Jesus was no sinner Jesus was the only man to walk the face of this earth who knew no sin and so why did he get the cup of wrath He got the cup of wrath to fulfill his role as the substitute lamb. And my Jesus did not run away. That night when he received the cup of wrath, my Jesus stepped forward and he drank every last drop of it. Campaigning portrait, character sketch of Jesus. But that night, And on one line of this battle, there was a detachment of armed soldiers. On the other line, opposite them was a single unarmed man. But make no mistake, Jesus was there fighting too. He was not passive. His fight was to calmly go where he knew he had to go. To the cross. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the picture of my Jesus. And I know I have been saying that often over the course of this sermon. And I do not speak of my Jesus in an effort to be casual or flippant with the word of God. But relationship with Him is an intensely personal matter. We are led by the Holy Spirit to behold Jesus in the fullness of His glory and love. We cannot help but be captivated. And so I ask you, is He your Jesus? Verse 4, there's an interesting twist. One that we just brushed past. 
He said that Jesus knew all that would happen. With crystal clarity. And yet, he still asked the question, whom do you seek? What's behind that question? Why would Jesus ask a question when he knows the answer? Again, it's my conjecture, but I believe it's borne out in all of Scripture that Jesus asks the question because though he knows the answer, he's calling them to lay their claim before him. Could it be that Jesus is asking you this day, whom do you seek? If so, how will you answer? There are only two options. We answer that question as an enemy of the cross or as a beloved friend of the Savior. How will you answer this day, as Jesus puts the question before you, whom do you seek? Friend, see him. Love him. Be shaped by him. Cling to him. Cling to the new life that is yours in him. Lord Jesus, you are all glorious. You are Savior, King. I pray that this picture that you have given us today is one that would sustain us. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray it's one that would change us. Draw us yourself and there be praise in Christ's name.